managing an animal's reproduction is an important part of being a good steward of that animal. Hey you guys, it's Harley. I'm just hopping in before we start the episode to tell you about my other business, Pullage Company, and our retainer packages. So Josiah and I co-own a photography business where we partner with other small businesses, advocates, and influencers to create social media content. Recently, we decided to develop retainer packages for our small business customers who need photo content on a regular basis but don't have an in-house photographer. As you all know, social media is a huge part of growing your business and increasing your brand awareness, so fresh content is important. We are currently offering one, three, and six session packages with different time choices. You'll get high quality, professionally edited photos in unlimited locations, and a phone or Zoom planning session so that we can make the most of our time together. For more information and pricing, please head over to our social media at Polich Company, that's P-O-L-I-C-H Company, or click the link in today's episode notes. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Ranch Collective Podcast. On the show, we talk about all things agriculture and Western lifestyle and have real conversations with people who are involved from the farmer to the bear racer to the vet tech. I missed you guys last week and I am so happy to be back. I don't know if anyone actually likes the life updates you used to get at the top of the show, but today you're going to get some. So I came home the Friday after the last episode was released and I pretty much slept except to eat and shower until Tuesday morning. That was a week ago yesterday and you can still hear the congestion in my voice. So I'm on the mend, but I'm definitely not 100% yet. I just want to let you guys know. Next thing is that from now until the end of June, the pod schedule is going to be a little bit up in the air because next week we're making a trip to Reno for a wedding. Then my family comes to visit us for the next couple weeks immediately after that. I do plan on sharing new episodes during that time, but I am not 100% sure because I'm going to be definitely prioritizing my family time, but I will be posting on social media if there is an episode. Thirdly, I still have podcast stickers. You can find them on Etsy if you want one. It's been a while since I mentioned that, but they are there. There's a link in the show notes. And lastly, and this is with a heavy heart, we're going to take a moment of silence for Lindley. I did not personally know her, but I know a lot of you guys did, and I do know what losing someone feels like, and my heart breaks for every single one of you who feels her loss in your soul. I won't use her suicide as a launching point for a mental health discussion, but the National Suicide Hotline number is 988, and you can text or call that number in crisis, and I sincerely hope that you do. Today, I am speaking with Sam from Due West, and she artificially inseminates cows, and I learned so much about this process during my chat with her. And this week, um, we are talking about how AI works and dispelling some misconceptions. Just a warning, we do get into some graphic descriptions of the AI process. We talk about sexual assault, and I tell a story about my IUD insertation, so this episode is explicit. I hope you all enjoy, and I am so happy that you're here. Let's talk about AI. All right. So the main goal of AI is to replace a bull that would be breeding a cow. So instead of having a bull, instead of having him be mounting the cow and fertilizing her egg, we're going to do it instead. And so we do that by using frozen sperm and depositing it in the uterine body. 
And the idea is that then it meets the egg as the egg is traveling down the fallopian tube. And then you get an embryo that comes from a bowl that the cow never even had to meet or deal with and you never had to put up with or purchase or transport or any of that. And bulls are a pretty big liability, especially for small producers. There might be more cons than pros to owning a bull and keeping him on your premises. There might even be more cons to pros in the situation of just renting or leasing one because you still have to transport him you still have to have him on your property and um, they can be a safety concern they can be pretty rough on fences and I'm not saying all bulls are bad I I know bulls that are wonderful I've shown bulls I've spent time around them there are some that I really like but for most producers especially the ones that I work with and especially on small scales, it's not a good option for them. Can you um, share some of the liability issues that like someone might run into with a bull? Because I feel like if you don't put a lot of thought into it or if you don't know, then you're just like, they're the same as having a cow. The reality of it is, is that they're not. And But I would love for you to explain a little bit more about that. Sure. Well, I actually had a client that I went out to last week and he has one cow specifically that he wants to breed to a bull other than his herd sire. So he had her separated off and she came into heat. He gave me a call. And when I got there, the bull was doing his best to crawl under the fence and he had his head and one leg through. And if he would have gotten through, he'd have been out in the driveway and out in front of the house. And they have little kids running around and grandkids now too. And, um, he was pretty worried about that and saying he was going to have to move him to one of the back pastures. He wasn't sure how he was going to get him through the gate and um, things like that can really be a problem. I also had actually a comment on one of my TikToks today saying that um, well, the, the person who commented had someone that he knows and that producer was running two bulls and he had a cow that had broken her hip from the bulls trying to mount her. And that happens a lot because bulls just will chase a cow and chase a cow and chase a cow when she's in heat. And that can cause injury to them. That can cause poor conception rates. It can really be an issue. Yeah, we were lucky that we didn't have any uh, of those issues. We had either seven or eight bulls where we, on the ranch we were working on. And the biggest issue that we ran into, um, aside from like the, the fence issues where they just like want to be with the cows. Luckily there was like seven of them. So like, so long as the cows weren't immediately on the other side of the fence, they were totally fine. Just kind sure. of chilling themselves. But when they were in with the cows, they would fight and oh. they took down some gates near our shoots. They um, put some dents in some trucks. They took down some fences. They, <laughs> um, we're in general just obnoxious. Um, one other one that I always forget to mention, but I did write down was, um, especially in some of the specialty things that don't have a very big genetic pool in a specific area and certain bulls are being passed around from herd to herd to herd is that they can be a huge spreader of diseases. And those might be like trichomoniasis. It might even be things like pink eye or coccidiosis. But that's a concern that isn't really addressed as much as it really should be. Because 
during breeding season, people kind of get caught up in, well, I got to get them bred. I got to hit my calving window. We need to make that happen. Here's this bull. He looks exactly like what I want, or, you know, he looks close enough to what I want. He's a bull. Let's get him in with the cows. And a lot of things like that kind of go by the wayside or maybe like, oh, it'll be fine. Like, let's not even worry about it. We just got to get a bull in with the cows. And I've seen that go downhill a couple of times. Yeah, that's not a fun time. So aside from um, the bulls themselves being a liability, let's flip flop it. What are some of the pros to like doing AI aside from like removing the bulls themselves? Definitely more marketable genetics and higher quality genetics. Um, for my herd, I was able to breed to bulls that I believe they're located out in like Illinois right now. I don't think they've ever been to the West Coast. And, you know, if I was just set on, I had to have that bull, if I didn't have the option of AI, I would have had to either buy him or lease him, have him transported all of the way to my herd and put up with all of that. But um, instead I was able to pay, I think I the straw of him specifically that I used on my red roan was $50. And so I can take that, get her pregnant, have a calf from that. I can register that calf with his breed association. I can sell that calf as his genetics, you know, under his name. I don't have to worry about spreading disease. His semen has been tested. There are antibiotics in that semen before it's frozen to make sure that it's not passing anything on. Um, what else? Um, it's basically one of my favorite things about AI is that I can go through a herd and instead of picking one bull to put out and breed the entire herd, I can make a decision for each cow and each cow can be bred to a different bull. And so I can give them the best chance to outproduce themselves by giving them the most complimentary mating for their genetics, for their phenotype, for the producer's goals, rather than just throwing one bowl out and hoping he works for everybody. And, you know, consistency in your maternal herd is a beautiful thing, and that's a goal for just about everybody. But when you aren't at a point where literally every cow looks the same, performs the same, has the same numbers on her papers, this works a lot better in terms of trying to hit your goals for every cow. That's really cool. That's certainly one, uh, one thing I wouldn't have thought of is like that you do get to make the decisions for what's going to work best for each of your cows, especially like you said, on, um, an operation that's smaller like yours. One of my favorite client herds is I think eight cows. And, um, we have a, really good understanding between that owner and myself and so he'll call me up he's like all right I think I want to breed this cow to this bull and we'll argue about it and we'll go back and forth and debate it and throw different names out there and come to a decision and then we can go on to the next cow and have a whole conversation about her and like well he wants to add mass to this one he wants to add volume he wants to add length he wants to make this one fancier and we can pick different bulls to do that for every cow yeah, that's really cool. Um, okay, so one of the other questions that I know that I had for you is you mentioned before that you'd gotten 
certified to do AI. You're not just like some rando poking stuff <laughs> around in cows. So what is that certification process like? Like what type type of education did you have to go through to become certified? Well, I kind of went a slightly unconventional route, but the, the more conventional route is to go to an AI school, which is usually three days. And it's usually put on by a university, sometimes by a genetics company. And you go and there's people there who are certified, who can teach, who do this professionally. And um, they basically walk you through the process, walk you through the anatomy of the animal. You get some hands-on experience, usually on tracks out on tables and things like that, where you can see everything and you can work through them while you can see what you're doing. And um, then you start working on cows. And the idea is that once you get to where you think you're in the correct place, you have a teacher check it for you and see if you are or not. And you get feedback on that. You get someone there that you can ask questions to while you're working your way through their tract. And at the end of the three days, then you technically get certified if you can demonstrate that you now have the skills and the knowledge that are needed to succeed at artificially inseminating cattle. What I did was I was taking a series of repro classes in college for my minor, and I was really loving it. I was really interested in the science, interested in the processes. And so I went ahead and took a more advanced repro class that had a lab. And one of the perks of taking that class was that I could get certified in AI. So instead of doing it in three days, I did it in 10 weeks. So I got a lot more feedback. I got a lot more hands-on experience and I was way more comfortable coming out of that feeling like I was able to go work on other people's animals and on my own and that I had the skills that I needed to make that work. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about some of the skills and knowledge. I know before when we had talked about it, you went pretty like in depth of how their repro tract is like laid out. I don't <laughs> I don't know if like a better way to describe it. Can you kind of like go through how that part of it works? Because I know that's a question that I had is like, okay, well, how do you know you're not just like hurt like hurting them or putting something in the wrong place because they kind of have a complicated sure. uh they do. They do. Um, it's funny because it's something that I'm pretty confident about now, but I very distinctly remember being very uncomfortable about it in the first place and second guessing myself a lot, which was why taking a longer course was definitely the right decision for me. But um, you can think of it as the end of the digestive tract sitting right over top of the end of the repro tract. And so I'll put my left hand into the end of the digestive tract so I can feel everything in the repro tract underneath it. And when I put the AI rod in, I go in at a 45 degree angle so that I miss the end of their urinary tract and then switch my angles when I'm past the first about four inches. And then that I can work up through their vagina pretty easily. And then what will stop my AI rod is their cervix. And in cattle, the cervix is basically a series of rings. And um, they're not really, what's the stuff on the end of your nose? Cartilage. It's not bone. Cartilage, yeah. So they're cartilage rings. And 
basically you have to work the AI rod through the middle of each ring. And sometimes there are different angles to each other or they're like shifted over from one side to the other. And the way it was explained to me is that you can't just shove your rod through it. You have to work the cervix over it like you're pushing a hot dog onto a stick, basically. So I'll have my left hand and I can hold the cervix from above within and then gently work it over the end of my AI rod and change the angles of my rod if I need to and work it through until I'm in the uterine body. Mm -hmm. And um, especially when a cow is in a good heat, there will be a lot of like turger, turger is the word and it's really difficult to pronounce, but um, it's basically having like a full feeling to that uterus. So especially a heifer feels like, you know, when you put your two fingers together, you can feel the divide between them. There's definitely two distinctive bodies there, even though they're right next to each other. And that's what the horns of the uterus feel like when she's in a good heat. So I like to be able to feel that with my middle finger of my left hand and then go down to the end of the bifurcation where we're in the uterine body and about half an inch before that uterus starts to split into its horns, that's where you want to deposit your semen. Okay. Man, I wish the... And it has... I was say, I wish the, the listeners could see. You guys, I just got like a full... Like she was using her hands to like explain the whole thing. I was like, I feel like I understand now. <laughs> I speak with my hands a lot. It's, uh, yeah, it's something that, that definitely helps communicate, especially on things like this. Most people have a general idea of even like a human reproductive tract, and there's a lot of similarities, but um, in cattle, it's a much longer tract. Sometimes in heifers, I, I only have to go about up to my elbow to find their entire tract. And sometimes in cows that have had multiple calves, it's a shoulder deep kind of a deal, and their uterus will sit way further forward. And then you have to kind of grab it and actually manipulate it back so that it fits onto your rod is that because of um like how it expands when they're pregnant it'll like change it just like changes where it sits in their body basically um everything's held together by different ligaments and those do stretch a little bit and especially um during calving and leading up to calving you know people say that you can judge how like how soon a cow will calf based on how loose her ligaments are. And that isn't just happening in her hips. That's happening throughout her body and around her reproductive tract as well. And those don't always snap back and tighten everything right back down. Okay. That makes sense. I have like (laughs) so many questions, like wondering about like the similarities between like the human reproductive system and a cow reproductive system. I don't know if you're an appropriate person to answer that, but like when you're talking about like the cervix, is it like in people where like it has to be dilated a certain, or is there like that, does their cervix like naturally sit at like this far dilated so you can get what you need to through it? Or is it like human beings where like, it's not. (laughs) It, it definitely, um, changes throughout their cycle and I was taught to refer to it as either being like hard or soft in different stages and when they're not in heat when they're in a diestrous their cervix is pretty tight 
And that's basically to keep any pregnancy that they do have in, but you can still work an AI rod through it. You just have to be patient. And that's what you usually learn on is cows that are not in heat because it's harder, but you can feel everything. In a cow that's in heat, her cervix is a lot softer and it's expanded more. And it feels like, you know, like the neck of a turkey. Yes. Yeah. On, on a meat bird that's been butchered out, there's a specific feeling to the muscling around their neck. That's a lot like what a cervix feels like in heat. So that's you can grab that. <laughs> I, yeah, that's that is also what I was taught. That is like coming verbatim from my professor. But um, so you can imagine you're grabbing that from above with your left hand, and then you're trying to manipulate it onto the end of your rod and you can feel your rod pop through each ring uh-huh. basically. And you can feel if you're poking and you're just not making any progress and you need to switch your angle or you need to change how you're manipulating it, maybe move it further to one side or the other and, and just have patience and work through it gently, of course, until you're in the right spot. Yeah. And that all makes sense. I just am like thinking, okay, so this might be TMI for listeners. I don't really give a fuck. Um, I had an an IUD put in and so they have to dilate your cervix so that way they can get Mm -hmm. it up where it needs to go. Um, and I had to have my cervix manually dilated because it was not dilated enough. So that's why you're like talking about like sticking the (laughs) thing there. I'm just like thinking about that. I'm like, Oh my God, that's a nightmare. Okay. I completely, I completely understand um, the connection. I do want to point out that um, a cow's cervix is when she's in heat, it's usually between like an inch to two inches wide. Whereas ours is like closer to like the end of your thumb wide. Yeah. In totality. And this is, this is my AI rod and I, meant to take a measurement and I didn't, but, um, I have a spiral bound notebook here and the holes for the notebook wire to go through are wider than my AI gun is. Okay. I feel like that's a a really good comparison. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very small trying to think about an IED and like the size comparison there. Um, well they put it in, in something that's probably like uh, probably close to honestly the size of like a pen, like a standard size pen. And what they do is they like basically shoot it up and then they click it up there. I think your analogy of an IUD also applies to the idea of sinking heats because it's a very similar shape to one of the tools that we use for that, just um, on a much larger scale. So the idea of synchronizing heats kind of comes into play when you want all of your cattle to come into heat at the same time. And then theoretically, if they all get bred, they all calf right around the same time as well. And um, that we can achieve by providing the hormones to their system that usually their system would create itself on a natural heat cycle. But just changing the timing of that to something that's more convenient for us. The protocol that we use most commonly where I'm working is called a select sink with cedar. And um, the cedar is a timed release piece of plastic, basically. Well, 
it's a piece of plastic that has silicone on it that releases a hormone that's absorbed through the membranes of the reproductive tract. And that simulates a corpus luteum, which is the follicle on an ovary that's ovulated and it produces progesterone basically until a fetus can produce its own progesterone to support the pregnancy. Okay. So when we want to start a sink, we'll give PGF2 alpha. No, we won't. Sorry. We won't do that. We give GNRH, (laughs) GNRH so that um, if she's anywhere near ovulating, she'll ovulate and we'll reset her cycle. We'll put in the cedar, which sits transvaginally. And that's that thing that looks like an IUD. So it goes in, in a rod with the wings kind of folded. And then when it's pushed out, those wings open up against the sides of the vagina. And it doesn't go out to a full T, but it just puts enough pressure against them to hold itself in. And then it has a tail that's sticking out of the track. And after seven days, we just grab that tail and pull it out and then give her a shot of PGF2 alpha to lice any CL that she has and to tell her body that it's time to ovulate soon, that it needs to get ready for that, needs to develop a new follicle and everything needs to start getting ready to get pregnant basically. And then go ahead. I'll say that sounds um, fairly similar to like the process that um, people go through when they're doing um, like the same thing. IVF. Yeah. And yeah. (laughs) So we, we actually do embryo transfer and IVF and cattle as well. And I would love to touch on that later too. But um, once her body is getting ready to ovulate, we'll basically be on heat watch. And if she comes in naturally and starts showing signs of estrus, then we'll breed her 12 hours after the onset of those signs. Because she'll be ovulating about 18 to 24 hours after she first shows signs. And that way we can have semen and sperm in her tract and going up each side of her uterus to meet an egg wherever it comes, like from whichever side it comes. So the idea is that you want the egg to meet the sperm at the junction of her fallopian tube and her uterine horn. So what do those signs look like? Basically, um, we're looking for a standing heat, which is where she'll stand to be mounted. And other cows, other females in the herd will be mounting her because they can pick up on the pheromones that are coming off of her at that point. And um, that's something that really throws people off they're like well but they're all girls how how why are they mounting each other if they're all girls like there's no point to that they don't care they're just doing what their hormones are telling them to do and um they're very in tune with each other's hormones and so if she'll stand to be mounted they'll be mounting her and especially if you have two or three or more that are coming into heat at the same time they will just stand there licking each other mounting each other acting completely goofy and ridiculous and you can be like oh they're in heat and um in dairies it's kind of funny people will say like you can't expect a dairyman to always be making eye contact with you because they're always on heat watch so you'll be standing and and talking to a dairyman or a dairy worker And you can just see them like lose focus on you and like look over your shoulder. And it's because they'll be seeing a cow mount another cow and they're trying to catch the numbers on her ear tag. 
so that they can know which ones are in heat. Okay. That makes sense. I know something else that you've mentioned is specifically like with those hormones. Um, and this is important because you're, you know, a woman and the, yes. expo the exposure to those hormones could, um, mess with your cycle. If you were to come into contact yep. and you mentioned it's like a touch contact, um, or like if you were pregnant or trying to get pregnant, it can mess with that as well. Yes. PGF2 alpha is a specifically dangerous one for, um, pregnant women because it tells your, it, it basically counteracts progesterone, which is the main hormone that is maintaining a pregnancy. And it will cut your body's sources of progesterone if your pregnancy isn't far enough along to produce its own. If you were very early along without essentially like force a miscarriage, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure I'm understanding. Yeah, what sure. I, yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what it would do. And, um, it's something that we can use after they've capped as well. Sometimes with retained placentas, you'll see people give shots of Lutalize, which is the, the name for PGF2 alpha when it comes in a bottle to basically induce contract. It doesn't really induce contractions, but it tells her body that she's not pregnant she needs to be getting ready to go into heat. And sometimes that triggers the right sequence for her to start getting rid of any placenta that's left. Okay. That's really interesting. I wouldn't, that's another interesting thing that I would have never known about either. <laughs> yeah. Then the GNRH, um, usually it's, it's called Fertigil or Sister Ellen, depending on which version you get. But that is part of the hormone cascade that induces ovulation. So usually after a synced heat, like when they come into heat following a synchronization protocol and mm -hmm. they're AI'd, at the time of AI, we would give them a GnRH shot as well to basically make sure that she ovulates because we've been syncing that heat. We've been doing things artificially. Her body might not have completely recognized it and have its own cascade set up. So we basically just go ahead and bypass that. That isn't something that everybody does, but that's something that usually helps with conception rates. And then at the end of a certain number of hours, if she still hasn't come into heat on her own, we'll go ahead and breed her anyways and give her that shot anyways. And that number of hours changes a little bit every year, just because the protocol recommendations change slightly every year. But mm -hmm. right now it's right around 84 to 90 hours after you pull the cedar and give them the PGF2 alpha shot. Okay. That's a lot of like, uh, acronyms and like very strict terminology. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a lot of information to throw at you and I apologize. <laughs> I was like, Hey, no, that's why we're here. Um, it's good. We love it. It just takes a few minutes to sink in cause it's a lot of sure. information. <laughs> well, honestly, that's one of the downsides of AI is you either have to catch all of your animals in heat and be constantly supervising them. Mm -hmm. or you have to go through and do a synchronization protocol for your whole herd, which yeah. usually means, you know, a trip through the chute, seven days later, another trip through the chute. And then you're either on heat detection for three to four days, or everybody gets another trip through the chute in a couple of days. And for some operations, that's just not really feasible for them. Um, heat synchronization is definitely way more convenient than 
trying to watch 80 cows and pull each one in 12 hours after you see her in heat. That's yeah. really not an option for a lot of places. Um, I will say that one of the best tools for heat synchronization um, detection or just heat detection in general, even on natural heats, is um, these little stickers that we put on their tail heads that are like a lottery ticket. Okay. That have like the silver over them. And when the cows mount each other, basically the hide of the one on top will rub that silver off. Oh. And we have a fluorescent color underneath. So then you can look out in the field and be like, oh, there's no silver left on her tag. She's in standing heat. She's letting everybody mount her in 12 hours. We need to breed her. Okay. That's, a, that's really cool. Again, one of those things that. Those are super helpful. Yeah. Um, okay. So I know you mentioned that you can do embryo transfer and IVF as well. Is that something that you yeah. personally do? It's something that technically I am certified to do. I've learned how to do definitely not something I'm comfortable doing, <laughs> um, way more in depth and it requires more equipment just because once you get those embryos, they either need to go right into a recip cow who's been synced to be at the right point in her cycle to where you put that embryo in and her body's like, Oh, yay. We got pregnant. This is our baby. Great. And starts growing that pregnancy or you have to be able to process it wash it get it in the right solution and then freeze it correctly and I do not I'm not set up to do that and IVF is its whole own ball game and it's a very specialized technology and I would love to have one of my cows flushed I have plans to make that happen I will be sending her somewhere else to have that done though well, since it is like you said, like specialized, presumably also fairly expensive, or at least much more expensive than, you know, AI and them, um, it makes more sense to have someone who is perfectly set up and who has these, yes. you're like, I don't need to be my own test subject. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. The cow doesn't either. Well, hopefully if that's something you're interested in doing, you do get the opportunity to learn more about it. And I, I have... Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, one of the bigger national companies that does that actually just set up a satellite site not very far from here. So they're in the Willamette mm-hmm. Valley now, only on specific days, but you can schedule out with them and get set up. And so you take your cow there and they'll have everything ready, basically. Let's hop into some of the kind of really common misconceptions that the everyday person has about AI? Cause I know, I know there's a lot of them out there. I'm sure you get comments, um, on your social media and stuff about negative things or things are just like not true. So what are some of those things that you hear? Well, a lot of times people who haven't been around livestock or don't have a lot of experience working with livestock will assume that, anything that's happening to the livestock is equitable to what would be happening to a person in a similar situation. So the big parallel that's drawn there is AI being sexual assault, which is not only degrading to people who have actually experienced sexual assault, but it really doesn't exist as a parallel idea. 
And that's simply because cattle, livestock in general, I mean, animals don't really have an idea of consent. And beyond that, it's not as if this is a forceful process. That's the main thing that I want to bring forward. And um, they're very much at the mercy of their hormones and what their bodies are telling them to do. And livestock, when they're cycling, their bodies are telling them that it's time to get pregnant. And if you have a bull or if you are running sheep, if you have a ram or anything like that, that male is also going to be in touch with those pheromones and they're going to trigger his own hormones or his own response. And that is going to also be to cause a pregnancy. So the idea that it's a forceful process or it goes against what that animal is wanting is just really untrue and also perpetuates a pretty harmful narrative that isn't reality. Um, A really good example is a reel that I just posted on Instagram the other day of Angus cow, who I've said really doesn't fit with my program because she's not so friendly, doesn't want to be around people, but she came in to keep the other day and she walked herself into the fitting chute when I set it up at the end of her stall. And she stood there and ate alfalfa cubes out of my mom's hand the whole time that I was breeding her. I don't think she even cared at all that she was being bred. Um, it's a really difficult subject to bring up to some people, you know, the idea that this is a management strategy. This is actually working with the animal's body, not against them. And it's not something that's being forced on the animal. It's literally, it is working with them. It's doing what their hormones are telling them to do in a way that we can manage in a way that fits the goals of our operations that helps that animal. Um, I have a 10 month old heifer who's been cycling since she was eight months old. If she was out with a bull, she would have been bred when she was eight months old. Her body could have technically sustained that, but she would be feeling the effects of it for the rest of her life because she isn't done growing and she isn't to a weight or a size that she could maintain a pregnancy without it having a detrimental effect on her. So managing an animal's reproduction is an important part of being a good steward of that animal. And AI is definitely a strategy to do that more efficiently and more humanely. And it is something that's considered ethical by experts in this industry. There are always going to be people outside of this industry that will have other opinions, but I tend to base my opinions on the opinions and research of people who are experts and who are actually involved in this world and have a grasp on the why as well as the how. That is really, really well said. Um, And that is certainly the thought process that I've heard echoed across friends, family, et cetera, anyone who breeds livestock, period. Um, And even people who don't like AI that only have like the bulls in for like three months of the year. Right. So that way they can have, yeah. I don't even know what the word is. I'm trying to say they only have them in for a specific amount of time. So that way they can have their calving window. Yeah. 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 
Um, and I think it is very, very easy as humans with human emotions, with human reactions to things to see that as like a violation because that's how we would feel if it was us in that situation. But it's important to remember that these animals are not people. They are not humans. They do not have the same exact range of human emotions that we do. And not specifically talking about that as, a, as you know, equating it to sexual assault. That violation is very much like a societal decision that we've made, for lack of a better word. It has, it's like very ingrained, like in our society cows do not live in a human society. They don't have that same concept of violation that we do. Yeah. I, um, I know I, I talked about my dad before and how his ideas have played into my ideas of good management, but I definitely have to pull my mom in there too. And um, this is just backtracking a little bit, but the joke has always been that we're the family with the cowboy dad and the hippie mom. Mm -hmm. And she is, very much the person that I know if I can't go say, Hey mom, this is what I'm going to do. Then I probably shouldn't be doing it. And so when it came to, Hey, I think I'm going to AI. I had to sit down with her and be like, all right, what are your concerns about this? Because she's always very much the conscientious person who wants to be taking care of animals. She wants them to be doing everything as naturally as possible. And she wants to have their best interests in mind. And um, she's definitely somebody who keeps reminding me of that. And that sometimes, you know, their best interests might not always be what I think is the absolute best in that instance. And that keeping my animals happy and healthy is always going to have to be at the top of my priority list. Is there any other kind of like bad negative things about AI that you hear that you wanted to kind of talk about at all? I know that was the big one. So <laughs> that that's really the main one. Um, from the general public, that's pretty much all that I get. But it is a valid concern. And, and that's what I'm trying to say. And like bringing up like I had, I, I tried to have a conversation with my mother about like, you know, does this make sense to you? Do you see how this is a good thing? And um, because people, you know, especially if the only animal that you've really only ever been around and been close to is like your dog, it doesn't really translate to, you know, here's this animal, we're going to artificially breed them, it's going to be a process. And that's not something that people see very much. So when they see it like pop up on their social media feed, they usually have questions and they're like, is this animal okay? Is this a good thing? Is this something that we need to be worried about? And those are valid concerns very much so. And, you know, we do have a responsibility as a society to hold each other accountable. Sure. But remembering that for the most part, you know, as a majority, the people who are in livestock are in it for the right reasons because they love it and because they love their animals. Yeah. But, well, I think it might've, I'm assuming at this point that it was yours, but it might've been somebody else's reel that I saw was actually like doing, doing the AI and like showing the process and just showing like how real like relaxed and like chill the cow was. They just like walked right in and they were just like, okay, snack time. And like, yeah, that was it. There was like no other like additional reaction. There was no like, 
change um, in body language that would indicate stress. They didn't like make any noise that would indicate stress. They were just like chilling. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have never been kicked AIing, and that is a big indicator to me. I've never had an animal that was in distress because of what I was doing. I've, you know, there's been a couple times where there was an animal that was like, did not want to be in the shoot at that time. And we, yeah. you know, back off, let her settle down and then come back to her. And um, that's been fine. The biggest issues that I've had AIing have been inadequate equipment for holding the cattle mm-hmm. and um, kicking boards. So like when you have cattle in a squeeze chute, sometimes as a safety, basically you can put like a two by four or something behind them. And if they're pushed up too far against that head catch, when you put that board in they they don't have enough room when they settle back and mm-hmm. that makes them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that act or that, that little bit of space, like those six inches has made animals more uncomfortable than the fact that my arm is inside them and I'm breeding them every single time. And so that's a good indicator for me as well. I mean, cattle are very powerful animals. They're very much capable of expression. They're vocal. Um, They (laughs) will very much thrash around. Like they will let you know if they're upset. And especially as somebody who takes their well-being very seriously and does not want to get myself into a liability issue. I have never had an issue or an experience where I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't breed this cow. And I have no issues saying that and communicating about it, but that hasn't ever been a problem. And that speaks a lot to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that also says a lot about, you know, you and like paying attention to what the, what the animal's needs are. I know that was also, you know, we talked about that's really good. Like stockmanship, paying attention to what those needs are for the animals. And I think that says a lot about how you treat them too. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I try. Um, I mean, that is actually, I do get pushback from people who do have livestock. And when I suggest AI, because they're like, oh, well, I don't have the facilities for that. I don't have the equipment for that. That's going to be way too expensive. But um, even on that scale, like, I, I can't imagine that renting or buying a bull for three cows makes more financial sense than AIing. And um, I do understand the equipment side of it. So that does seem reasonable. If you don't have a shoot or, or some way to contain your animals, it probably doesn't make sense for your operation. But yeah. that's really one of like the only limiting factors, especially for small operations for me. Yeah. Um, Okay. Is there anything else you wanted to share before we hop into our last couple of things? Um, I don't really think so. Okay. Um, Okay. Perfect. Um, One of my last questions is if someone came to you tomorrow and said, oh my gosh, I heard about AI. I want to learn more. How do I do that? What would you tell them? I would tell them to see if there's a university, an extension office, or a genetics company in their area or with a satellite 
office in their area that is holding AI schools, basically. You can also sometimes become certified online. That was a thing during COVID. I'm not entirely sure if it still is right now, but I would suggest they take one of those courses. Outside of that, I would really recommend becoming ridiculously familiar with the anatomy and the hormone cycles of the animals that you want to be breeding. I'm technically certified to do horses, goats, and sheep. I don't want to touch any of them because I think they're aliens and they don't go, their systems don't work with my head. Like cattle do. Cattle I understand and I'm confident in. And a lot of that is because I did a lot of research and I had a lot of instruction before I went into AI. So I felt comfortable with knowing where things were and how they worked. And I would really recommend reaching a certain level of confidence in that before you start practicing AI. Wonderful. Um, Okay, if everything you've done in your whole entire life, what are you most proud of? Starting my herd for sure. That's, I knew I was going to start a herd. I did not think that it would be able to happen in 2021. But I am really, really proud of myself for making that happen. Yeah, congratulations. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you. I have, you know, I I did not do that alone, though. Um, My, I have an agreement with my family where I can run my cattle on their land, my brother throws hay for me, they make it happen. I I don't actually live on site with my cattle. I have somewhere else that I live because I'm getting ready to go back to college. So it's definitely been a group effort and I appreciate everything that they've done to make it happen for me. Um, Okay. And then very last thing, um, if someone wants to follow you on social media, where can they find you to do that? On Instagram and TikTok, uh, my handle is at do West livestock. Facebook, I have a page. It's just Do West Livestock LLC. And I'm not very active on my Facebook at all. It's basically just there. So there's a contact option for people who only use Facebook as their social media. And then I do have a website as well if you want to see pictures of my cows because I think they're cute. And that is just, um, it's linked to my Google business file. So if you just Google do West Livestock. It's the website that's linked there. Thank you so much for your time this evening. This has been so fun. Well, thank you so much for your patience while I ranted through hormones and AI and all of the things. I really appreciate that. And I've loved having this conversation. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to connect with me on social media. It's at Ranch Collective Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. See you next week.